Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, all you regular listeners, and a big welcome to all you first-timers. Really glad you're here. If you've been a fan for a while and you'd like to help keep the podcast going, I'm accepting donations through PayPal. There's a link in the description and also one on the podcast website. Thanks for your support. My guest today is a dancer, a teacher, a bandoneon player, and wears many other hats in the world of tango. He is the organizer of Q-Tango, a nonprofit organization that specializes in organizing festivals which feature live music. But the live groups aren't just for enjoyment during the malangas, they are a central learning component of workshops as well. And with me now is Erskine Maitarena. Erskine, great to be talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. First, a little bit about you, Erskine. How did you fall in love with tango dancing? Um, <laughs> that's actually probably the best story of all. Um, I'm like the worst dancer ever. I mean, <laughs> I'm I was like so bad. I was an opera singer and. Um, I would do operettas, you know, I'm tall and thin and they'd say, oh, you should do operettas. You have a high baritone voice. And I'd say, no, you don't understand. I can't waltz. And they'd say, oh, well, you know, of course you can. And I said, no, I can't. You have no idea how bad I am. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, no, 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 we're going to hire you. And sure enough, they're like, wow, we're going to have to cut that waltz scene after all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was that bad and um, hopeless. And then I, you know, I fell in love with tango like most people. Um, Piazzolla played in Germany back in those years. That was in the 80s and 90s when I was living in mm-hmm. Germany. And, um, you know, some movies came out. And I was doing, uh, um, I think I did a Showboat. I did a, no, it wasn't Showboat. I did um, Camelot. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And there was someone in there who was a dancer. And he said, look, I can teach anyone. And I said, trust me, you can't teach anyone. <laughs> so he said, well, what do you most want to learn, though? And I said, well, the tango. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I started tango lessons like in 1994 or something like that. Nice. And I was probably the slowest learner mm-hmm. in the world. But, um, you know, at some point, um, the tango scene kind of caught up to the um, people who wanted to take lessons because there weren't a lot of malongas and things like that back right. then. Right. And, um, and everyone was doing that real apilado, forever tango version of tango. And um, sooner or later, you know, the, the social context caught up. And and then around 2007, 2008, I really started getting involved with tango. Mm-hmm. I was doing it off and on before that. Mm-hmm. That's how I got involved with the music is because I, I remember listening to Jorar uh, por una mujer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard those words and I was like, I've got to sing that song. I love <laughs> that song. The words are so good. Love a girl and never to have her. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> What was your very first tango lesson like? Do you remember? I do remember. It was one of those things, you know, um, I went in and I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, he, he had more of a ballroom background, but he had experimented with Argentine tango. And I think probably the the most intimidating thing was a proximity of another person, you know, being in my personal space. I lived in Germany and sang there for 20 years. So mm. Germans have a very different sense of personal space. And mm. for... It's one of the things they teach you when you're in the military is that um, to reorient that because, you know, it feels like it's intrusive. Mm-hmm. But Germans are totally comfortable kind of touching chest to chest as they go past you, especially women. You're like, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to touch you. <laughs> They're like, what are you sorry for? It was I'm the one who moved past you. Mm-hmm. And if 
breast touch what's the big deal but it was still weird and um i think that was kind of like the really the awkwardness of that and then of course when um close embrace tango really hit hard that was i think the i mean the the beauty of it of course of close embrace mm-hmm. and then at the same time the very fact that it's so contrary to everything we do in the united states that's mm-hmm. so different yeah that i think struck me the most and like everyone else you know i wanted to do volcadas and ganchos and all that other stuff right. yeah and um i think it was uh, christopher and caroline that i saw dancing and i remember seeing christopher dancing with all these women and i and i was like this dude literally does three moves and every woman he's with is smiling <laughs> i think that i can manage that mm-hmm. that is what i'm gonna focus on and that's what i did and and it was funny because you know women would say oh you're so musical you must be a musician well i am a musician mm-hmm. and um i realized that you know simplicity was preferable and, and i fell in love with tango because of that yeah, so coming in this as an opera singer and then, and then getting inspired by some of the music, did you try singing right away or is that something you also really gravitated towards when it when it comes no, to No, I didn't. It never mm-hmm. even occurred to me in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of the early tango music, you know how so many new dancers are attracted to, you know, Goten Project and right. um, that kind of thing. So I was, I, I had like all of Piazzolla's albums mm-hmm. back in the 90s. And, you know, I, like everyone else, I thought, that's tango, right? I mean, I didn't know any better. And um, when I started going to regular malongas, even then, a lot of the singing didn't really latch on to me until I started hearing some of these singers that, that and I think it was um, Troilo's Malena that, that really hit me first. Mm. Um, the singing sounded so much like Neapolitan singing. Um, a lot of people don't realize that um, when Puccini started his his big thrust in in opera mm-hmm. one of the things that's different between puccini and earlier composers is that he didn't sing in in meter he sang in the spoken language meter mm. so be uneven right? right and that's a really common thing in songs from naples and so when i heard that i was like wow is that neapolitan i mean what is it also they were using um when i started hearing some stuff in lumfado though mm. i it sounded more Neapolitan to me, Neapolitan to me than Spanish. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I started thinking, oh, I'm really interested in singing this stuff <laughs> because it, it was much more interesting at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your first time uh, singing for an audience like? Tango or yes, in tango. general? I'm sorry, tango. <laughs> so we did something really cool. I had an I had an open mic night for mm. opera singers, Broadway singers and i had done it in la jolla for years and so um i started one here in albuquerque new mexico Mm -hmm. and at the end we do like three hours of singing and someone said hey could you guys do some tangos and we could dance to it Mm -hmm. so the pianist i had could sight read anything so we tried that and like every other opera singer you know i tried it with a full voice that's the way we refer to that and Mm -hmm. anyone who's ever heard placido domingo do you know it's just like it's it's not tango mm-hmm. but you know, it's a glorious voice it's just right. not a tango sound mm-hmm. so i did the same thing and um i found it really hard i mean the, because mm-hmm. the range is really large in tango. when we do that in opera of course you know there were no microphones so in opera you're trying to we call it pushing sound we, mm-hmm. we need to push sound so it gets to the back of the house but i was singing in a cafe so you know of course people would say oh you can't sing that way because it's not 
opera and I'd be like, well, give me a damn microphone. <laughs> that make life easier. Mm-hmm. And once I started using a microphone, I started pulling it back and then pulling it back more and then pulling it back even more. And at some point, um, I realized that there's also, you know, another problem, which is that um, when you hear a lot of the great singers, they're generally tenors mm-hmm. and there's very few exceptions. And a lot of people think of them as baritones. Uh, Gardell was a baritone. He was not a tenor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sings really kind of like on the high end of the voice. And, and it works great. But, um, of course, you you have to learn this over time. And mm-hmm. and as I did, then singing became more comfortable. But we, we've transposed most of our music for my voice because I'm a baritone. Okay. Yeah, and we brought it down so that that way I could actually sing it and not shout it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually talking with Roberto Minondi of um, uh, Orquesta Romantica Milonguera, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, I was help. I was the one who brought them in on that tour, and um, yeah. I sponsored that. And um, Roberto, I got to spend a lot of time with him because the manager wasn't able to make it. Mm-hmm. Talked a lot about this because he's an, you know he he trained as an opera singer, and mm. it's it's one of the things a lot of people don't know about tango, and you can. You can learn a lot about this on uh, tango.com so mm-hmm. to do tango.com. Yep. There are great interviews where, you know, they interview like this one guy who was a very famous teacher of the period. Like everyone studied with him and they studied to sing opera first mm-hmm. and to control. And then they kind of back down the voice as the microphones became, you know, much more prominent. And oh. it's true of a lot of American radio stars, too. I mean, mm. there's... There's that correlation between those two. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of staying on with with music. Uh, so you sang and yeah, you also play the bandoneon, right? Yes. And we all have Homer Laudas to blame for that. <laughs> Homer. Yeah. Homer came up to Albuquerque mm-hmm. one day and I had played a little bit of the bandoneon. I was like, this is a waste of time. This this thing's horrible. Mm-hmm. I'm what a waste of time to try to learn how to play this thing. <laughs> and Homer came up to teach a workshop, and then he came to this open mic night, and he says, hey, man, can I play with you guys? And I said, sure, we'd love to have a bandoneon. Mm-hmm. So he was playing it kind of the way you would play rhythm guitar Beatles tunes. You know, you learn, like, grip chords. Okay. You learn a basic chord, and you strum, and then you switch chords, and three three chords later, you've learned a whole song. Mm. And you don't play any melody, you just play the strumming. Yeah. And that's kind of what he was doing with the marcato in tango, and it added so much. Mm-hmm. So literally, I like he was there Saturday, I borrowed a bandoneon on Sunday from a friend. Mm-hmm. I learned like 15 chords and played it the next Friday. And I, and I just played chords for the longest time. I just played the marcato. Of course, it made it everything very mm-hmm. chung-chung, which is, um, you know, it's definitely not Troilo. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, we have we had a lot of beginning dancers who mm. really appreciated the kind of, you know, tango in four or tango in two that's really straightforward without, mm-hmm. you know, these great Pugliese moments that no one knows what the hell to do with when they're a beginner. Right. And so that led to learning it. And then eventually um, I did that for like three years, always thinking I would find another Bandanaon player mm-hmm. to actually play melodies. But I, I had like a nine piece string section. Mm-hmm. So like. I was like, why would I do all that stuff? Let them. They're great. <laughs> and, um, you know, sing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I played clarinet and trumpet um, wow. for various things, you know, like the Canaro tunes. Mm-hmm. Then um, I met Hector Del Corto, who's he's the one who runs the Stowe Tango Music Festival, mm-hmm. which it's like I have to put a plug in for that. It's like 
if you want to hear really great orchestral music, it's it's an amazing, mm. amazing experience. So I started studying with him, and he's like, you need to learn the right hand. And I was like, oh, I don't want to learn the right hand. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's a competition coming up, and you'll have to be in it. And I was like, I, dude, what? I've been learning the right hand for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. He said, you're a professional musician. You should be able to do it. And so I did it, and I placed third of all things. It's wow. crazy. Yeah, wow. and uh, you know, of course, I gave up five to six hours a day of my life to do it mm-hmm. for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And now I play, and for our festival, I, I bring in Yuki uh, Kawanami. She's um, mm-hmm. this amazing player that I met mm-hmm. at Stowe. She placed first in that competition the same year I did it. Wow! She's an amazing player, and um, she winds up playing first on the Nona, and then I can just I can play second, which that I'm comfortable doing. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an intriguing instrument. I mean, it's, it's great. You've had experience not only as a singer, but with other instruments. Now, did anything prepare you for the bandoneon? Like any of your previous experience, did that help you at all? Or was this just a completely different creature? You know, everyone claims it's a totally different thing, but I, I think that the reason why they say that is because they started as an adult and uh, to give you a really good comparison, anyone who picks up the violin as an adult will find it almost impossible to reach any professional level. Mm-hmm. So if you say that's true of the violin, that makes the violin the harder instrument because mm-hmm. there are many people who pick up the bandoneon as an adult who, like Yuki, Yuki didn't pick up the bandoneon until she was, I think, like 22 or 23. Oh. And she's a full, hardcore player who's mm-hmm. a professional player. And... Um, that's impossible on the violin. Mm-hmm. And another thing, you know, almost every time you hear someone say the bandoneon is hard, it's always a bandoneon player telling you that. Have yeah. you ever noticed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like your Mercedes mechanic telling you this is the hardest car in the world to work on, mm-hmm. which, and then comes the bill. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that explains why it costs so much, right? Well, maybe not. And, you know, I sang opera and there are difficult languages to sing and you know if you sing in Russian it poses different problems than let's say Italian or mm-hmm. French do. Italian's the easiest. Okay. And the Bandanone, it there was the, one of the biggest problems there was no pedagogy method. You know, most people are kind of self taught. It's it's the way it was in, in the world of ballet until the Vaganova method, the Chiquetti method came. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go to Miss So and so and she taught her style of ballet and that's what you learned. Well, that's kind of the way it's been in the world of Bandanaon mm-hmm. education. And just now, I would say, in um, Argentina, you're seeing a lot of really, really good players mm-hmm. using a lot of modern pedagogy techniques mm. to kind of jumpstart the entire thing. Because they, they all know, I mean, the more good players we have, the more tango will grow. And now... There are lots of good players. I mean, Romantica Milonguero is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, Maurizio, who was their first bandoneon, he played as a kid, but mm-hmm. the two girls that were playing, um, Sofia and right. uh, Roberta, mm-hmm. they both learned as adults. Oh. And they're, yeah, and they're able to play at a professional level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're modest and they'll say that they're not that good. But mm-hmm. I will tell you, 10 years ago when I got started, no one in the U.S. was playing at the level that Roberta's at or Sofia's at. Mm-hmm. No one was. Wow. Not yet, yeah. other than yeah. people who played as kids. So there's that's where that whole mythos of how yeah. hard it is is because there's no one who plays it very well. But remember manual typewriters? Actually, you're probably too young to remember manual no, typewriters. No, I remember. Um, I didn't use them a whole heck of a lot. My parents had one when I was growing up. Right. So yeah. If you try playing that after using a, 
a regular computer keyboard, you'll find your your hands are exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to use. And you're like, how did anyone ever do this? And I'm like, yeah. dude, I remember ninth graders typing 160 words per minute yep. <laughs> on a manual, <laughs> not an electric. Right. It is possible. It's just we don't know anyone who does. Yeah. 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 My dad, when he got his PhD, he did his dissertation, typed it all up on a manual typewriter. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that was not, you know, exceptional back then. Mm-hmm. That was the norm. Yeah, with these perceptions that we that we create, that's really neat. Yeah, so again, sticking on with music. So I want to talk a little bit about Q Tango, this wonderful nonprofit that uh, that you started. Yeah, so why don't you give us a little bit of information about that for those out there who don't know? Right. So Q Tango is a um, it's a nonprofit. We formed it back in the '90s, and we did sarsuelas and we did um, operas back mm-hmm. in the day. And when I started doing tango, I thought, you know, this is a great extension of that because the name of the nonprofit is the Hispanic Historical Society. Mm-hmm. Q-Tango is just our DBA. And um, we wanted to spread this kind of like this music that represents so much of the Latin American world. And, you know, it's not, I mean, everyone says tango is Argentine, but mm-hmm. um, believe it or not, my grandfather recorded a tango. He was a famous opera singer also um, when he was young. On the 30s, and um, he sang a tango with, uh, recorded with Decca Records. Mm-hmm. And tango was everywhere. I mean, it was, as a matter of fact, New Mexico, mm-hmm. our state song is actually tango. Really? And, yeah, it's the only one in the union, and it was written by Pat Garrett's daughter. Pat Garrett's the guy daughter. who shot yeah. Billy the Kitty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's weird. I mean, New Mexico is really strange. Yeah. So we have this nonprofit and we did, um, you know, we would do music in um, hospitals and we do retirement homes. We did all those things over the years. And um, of course, we played tons and tons of Malongas for a while there. We were doing like 150 a year mm-hmm. and playing for dancers. That's always been the ideal. And um, now we extended that into the festival we do in March. Mm-hmm. And the brainchild of that was was the Stowe Tango Music Festival because in that particular festival, you have all these great maestros coming from Argentina mm-hmm. and um, they play for dancers and there's, you know, but we do maybe, gosh, 15 songs. That's mm-hmm. about it. And here at our festival, we're doing like 60 tunes. Mm. It's a lot of music. And a lot of the people who did the first year, they were all Stowe Tango Music graduates. Mm-hmm. They'd all learn the style, but they, they needed the opportunity to play for an hour and a half set. Mm-hmm. which is, it's grueling. It, it's like, <laughs> you know, your first um, all-nighter when you do tango, mm-hmm. you, you're a dancer, you, you start dancing, you're thinking, oh, this is so enjoyable. So at some point, your feet start hurting and yep. you start dancing differently. Mm-hmm. And then you start to tune into the music differently. And come 5 a.m., you're dancing in a very different way that also works. And it's yeah. shocking to you because the way you started the night is different than the way you end the night. Yeah. And it's all tango and it's all about connection it's all about being there with your partner well the music's the same way mm. it's just when you're doing it in short little intervals mm-hmm. where you know in six songs that your anxiety is very often higher than um your exhaustion level and you're kind of like you've got these defenses you're trying to play as well as you can perfectly mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily listening to each other mm-hmm you know there's the parallel in dancing right right and then at some point you start to just listen to your partners and you're like this is what i can do at this moment Mm -hmm. and so that's what we wanted to do we wanted to to use 
our nonprofit to help to build the tango community. I mean, mm. when I first started doing a tango band, someone said, the one thing that will unify all dancers of various factions is live music. But I didn't know anything about tango, so I believed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know there'd be people who say it's not traditional enough, yep. and there'd be other yep. people who say, oh, it's not modern enough. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Or, or some people say it's too traditional. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, and we we set up our our music like Tom does. Mm-hmm. So when we put a show for in a theater or we do something for like a retirement home, mm-hmm. we bring up the correlation, the the relationships to opera and popular music, the influence of jazz and tango. But when we play milongas, like our job is to be the DJ. We've mm-hmm. got to do three songs with up tempo kind of, um, let's say darienzo, mm-hmm. and then followed by some valses three valses followed by a rodriguez kind of really strong stepping mm-hmm. in for you know something that gets people really feeling like they can trust that music yeah with all the endings being the same because mm-hmm. and, and that was another big part of the the nonprofit is there are all these bands out there that have really evolved and they've grown mm-hmm. and by coming to our festival to play it really upped their game and they learned from each other like nice you know I had one orchestra that um, they were doing a lot of disarly tunes and they did them beautifully but at the very end out of nowhere they would tag on a Kahlo ending oh. and it was it wasn't interesting or even good it was like an abrupt shock because <laughs> everyone who dances knows you don't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know why so um, when Romantica came along, you know, one of the things that they do is they'll do like a Donato tune with a Jumba kind of quality in the yep. B section. Mm-hmm. And so when they do a Jumba ending, it, you kind of sense that coming because you've been dancing part of it in a Jumba style. And even the Donata A section, the Donato part isn't really that Donato. It's a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. It's like light Pugliese yeah. without the big solos. Mm-hmm. So that was an opportunity for them to learn. And Doing it as a nonprofit, you know, one of the things we say to all the dancers is, you know, your pass is a donation, which helps us to pay for the musicians to come here, right. pay them a performance fee, pay for them for a place to stay. Some of them do homestays, some are in hotels. And, um, you know, we've brought in like 50 musicians That's every great. festival. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy number. Mm-hmm. But without the dancers, we couldn't do it. And, and to be honest, without the dancers, there's no reason to do it. Right, right. Yeah, another really wonderful thing about but the festival that you put on is that these live bands, they're not just for the enjoyment during the Malanga, but they are actually a, a very important component of the workshops themselves. Yeah, we actually, I didn't know you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do a musicality workshop mm-hmm. on Saturday. It's something that evolved over the years. We we started doing those after we met a guy by the name of Joaquin Amenabar. I was, uh, I took the class and, Afterwards, people said, wow, man, your dancing really improved. What, what are you doing differently? And I said, mm-hmm. oh, I tried dancing to the music. It's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, I'm a musician, so I should be doing that anyway. Mm. But there are things in the music like um, Disarly generally has a melodic section almost always followed by a piano fill. Mm-hmm. And that's easy to describe. And when someone illustrates it for you, say, oh, that's cool. But what we do in the musicality workshop is we actually have like a 20 piece orchestra mm-hmm. that plays just the violin so you can hear that. Yeah. And then the blank space mm-hmm. and then the violins come back in. And now you're like, wow, that piano feels missing. 
And then we have just the bass play with the piano and then he does the fill. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, without the melody, I get it. Here's this really structured rhythm that Desarly does. And of course, each orchestra does that. But the thing I think a lot of dance teachers have done is they've tried to illustrate it with the recordings. And the problem is that we've actually had people who, who come to the workshops and they'll say, this is the first time I've ever been in a room where someone played a live violin right next to me. Or a lot of people point to the bass and they'll say, is that a cello? Yeah. And you know, they don't know. And this is their first tangible experience with live music. And for a lot of people, it's an aha moment because you can say, um, Di Sarli's version of Alla Gran Muñeca has an alternative melody when it comes back to the top. Mm-hmm. And when you have the violinist play that solo all by herself with no one else playing, mm-hmm. you're able to really analyze what's happening. And one of the things we have people do is they say, now we want you to try clapping while she plays it. No one can find the darn beat. Mm. Because she's phrasing outside of the beat. Mm-hmm. The minute you put Desarli's rhythm structure underneath it, now you're like, that's why tango is so amazing because I can dance to her broken rhythm, which is not with a beat. Mm-hmm. I could choose to be with a more rhythmic structure in Desarli. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is with live musicians. I yeah. mean, there's, there's no way. I mean, back in the day, they used to record this all on one mic. So there aren't even what they call recording stems where you could say, mm-hmm. and I'm, actually, I'm talking with uh, La Juan D'Arienzo, who I'm sponsoring next year to come. And um, also Romantica Milonguera mm-hmm. said, look, you guys have recorded this stuff and you have it separated just the bass part, just the piano part. Right. Why don't you release that CD as a musicality CD. Mm-hmm. And then people would be able to just hear the piano part or just the bass or just the violins. And uh, every dance teacher I've spoken to is like, oh my gosh, when can I get that recording? <laughs> yeah. yeah, people yeah. need it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a great thing to have a workshop set up that way with a live band. I mean, I remember one year here in Madison, we had Homer and Christina up here and they had a a live band, uh, Quarteto Tanquero, came up. And yeah, it was so fun where we did all different kinds of exercises. One was really fun where the the band started playing and then we would dance and then they would slowly speed up. And then yeah. they would watch and just make sure that we were really paying attention to the music. And yeah, I, so yeah, the idea was, you know, you're not just dancing with your partner in the room, you're also dancing with this band. That's your That's another partner that you have to... To, to work with and yeah that was really eye-opening for for our community here that was one of the things that really turned me on to it because we when we met Joaquina Menabata we were mm-hmm. playing in oxygen in um LA oh yeah so we were on tour and we just played like the whole western coast and we got down to LA and so we go in there and he's teaching the end of the musicality workshop and we we're like oh this is really kind of cool man what he's doing and illustrating it's you know stuff that we know as musicians but mm-hmm. But it was really cool to listen to it. So, you know, we started playing and, um, you know, like in blues, we call it a break mm-hmm. where the music all stops, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a pause and then there's generally some kind of feel, da 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 ba do dam and then there's a fill. What happened though is like the entire room stopped cold every time we would stop. And then we play the next break into the next tune or the next part of the tune and they'd all pick up again. You know, when they stopped the first time with the music, we were like, oh my gosh, they're listening. But maybe it's a coincidence. Yeah. By the time we got into like the third taunt and they were still doing it, it was amazing because mm. it changed the way we were playing because we we could tell 
they were listening to everything we were doing. So, yeah. you know, yeah. those arastres, the, the, the kind of, the, we call it the dive bomb on the bass record. Zoom. They listen to that and they're like, oh, something big's coming. And um, it changed the dancing. And we recognize that, um, you know, as much as we try to listen to the music actively, mm-hmm. it's important to hear it live and to hear it in a different context because then when you go back to the recordings, you hear things that were always there, mm-hmm. but you were less aware of them. And, yeah. you know, in the world of opera, you know, there's a guy by the name of Franco Corelli. He's one of the, the greatest tenors who ever lived. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to his recordings since I was 20 and I'm 54 now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll be listening to recording like, wait, whoa, 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 wait, slow that down. I never heard that before. <laughs> how, how did I never hear that? Mm. And I mean, and I sang opera professionally all over Europe. How did I miss that one thing for 20 years? Wow. Because our hearing changes and our, you know, it's like going back and rereading James Joyce, you know, mm-hmm. you find things in the book that you didn't read the first time and yet they were there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so Erskine, you uh, are a professional musician, tango dancer, teacher. Do you also, is this your full-time gig or do you also have a, a day job? You know, I don't really, I have a bunch of businesses. I have like, you know, tax business. I had a limousine business, which Mm -hmm. um, Uber did in, Mm -hmm. um, which is great because it freed me up. I do a bunch of things. I also do uh, practice consulting um, for healthcare. Because I I was really, really ill for a long time. That's what I was doing down in Costa Rica. I did Uh, stem cell. mm -hmm. And um, that was uh, probably, I would say, one of the most important development developments in my life was mm-hmm. being sick because you know tango is a social dance and mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's a community right mm-hmm. and um when you're young you often feel kind of indestructible and you know like mm-hmm. you're gonna live forever obviously you don't need anyone ask mm-hmm. my 11 year old she'll tell you for sure <laughs> and at some point when you get older you start to realize you know some of the greatest joys you have come from the community you're in. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things we really love about tango. And we especially love about the festival. I mean, we bring in these musicians, but when I say musicians, I should just say friends because they're people we've been playing with for some of them, 10 years. Mm-hmm. The dancers know these musicians. They're, they're part of that community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the great beauties of tango is the community. Yeah. And, you know, and, like family, it's also hell when it's part of your family you don't like, right. and we complain about that sometimes. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, we don't. Most people aren't part of like a large church congregation, so they don't have that community. If you're out of school, you don't have the group of buddies you used to hang out with. Right. So Tango is just this really great place to find that, and that's it's another reason why we try to keep Tango gender balanced when we do our festival. Mm-hmm. So our 50-50. We don't release passes to followers until we have leads for them. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it kind of sucks because it limits the number of people we can right. put in there. But on the other hand, we found that um, it just gives people more opportunity to connect because mm-hmm. they're not sitting there alone getting frustrated because they're not dancing. Right. Yeah. 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 The thing about community is absolutely, it's absolutely true, especially you know for young people in bigger cities where you just sort of feel consumed. You know, you're just going to work and it's really great to have some place to go. Yeah, Boise yeah. had a had a thing on their website that said um, we would rather be a community of not so good dancers mm-hmm. connect well with one another than to be an ever dwindling community of really amazing dancers. Yeah. <laughs> so when we 
we used to do this musicality workshop. We would tour all over the U.S. We did like 40 some odd states. And everywhere we went, I would always ask, you know, what what's working here? And, you know, what's not working here? Mm-hmm. And what I found just consistently, everyone said, you know, we were teaching tango from the musicality perspective and keeping it really simple. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter what embrace you use. Let's keep the simple steps. Let's just use a box step mm-hmm. and just make it magical. And what every community said that was growing is they would say, it's about community. You know, there's they they really go out of their way to connect as a community. Mm-hmm. And dancing is just a happy coincidence that goes along with tango. And they were growing. So we said, you know what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And it's super rewarding. I mean, then you go to the Milong and you're like, I want to go hang out with my friends and I might dance. Mm-hmm. I'm never disappointed. I'm never disappointed. Yeah. And yeah. when I go to dance and there aren't enough people or there are, you know, the the, the role balances off, let's say there's a ton of leaders and there aren't any follows, mm-hmm. you know, you're frustrated because you don't get to do what you came to do, which was to dance. Mm-hmm. So community kind of nixes that problem because you're there to hang out. Mm-hmm. And um, it's much more rewarding, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that one thing I, I find that I think a lot, every, a lot of people uh, notice it's you get so many people from different walks of life and you're not necessarily going to find a circle of, of that variety of people at, in say your, you know, at your work office or other places, you know, where you're just kind of talking shop where you can really meet somebody who's in a completely different line of work than you. I remember one time I was at a Malanga and I met this guy who was an engineer who designed tr- uh, tires for race cars. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I thought, wow, where, where the heck am I ever going to just randomly run into such a person? And we ended up sitting at a table and just talking about time. I mean, I didn't know anything about that, but it was just really, he was a really engaging speaker. So yeah, I learned a lot about cars that day. And it was just kind of funny. We were Before we knew, we'd been sitting and talking for 30 minutes at a Malanga. We hadn't danced much. and But that's that was part of it. Was, hey, see you next week. And that was that was really cool. So You know, you, you made me think of something that, that, when I look back, and this might be like a little exercise for people to think about at home, is the number of friendships I've, I have that have come from tango are greater than the number of friendships I have pre-tango. Mm. Like, I often met people and uh, was interested in them, but, you know, somehow we didn't connect time-wise, whatever. Mm. I read a study that said, you know, the, one of the number one factors that determines how close a friendship will be is proximity. Yeah. <laughs> and I... I don't think you can get more proximal than tango. Yeah. <laughs> and and now that I think back on it, you know, I have I have lots of friends in different walks of life because mm-hmm. of tango. Yeah. I, I really thought of that. Different professions, not in the profession I ever chose, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then if you need something, like if you need a lawyer or if you need, you know, advice on on business or tax advice, there's always somebody in that community who's or they are either they can help you or they'll point you to somebody who can help you. Oh, I love going on Facebook and saying, you know, hey, I'm looking for a place to buy good frisbees. And like 20 <laughs> people from Tango will say, well, I, you know, I used to play frisbee competitively. These are the, and you're like, what? But there's, I mean, that's pretty, that's oddball, but I've mm-hmm. seen things like that just kind of across the board. And you're right, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a diverse population. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was gonna say, that's one of the things about the musicians too. Um, that we invite to our festival mm-hmm. um, because it used to be that musicians didn't dance tango mm-hmm. and you're seeing a big shift in that. Like yeah. almost all of our musicians dance mm-hmm. and they have a very different perspective. And um, even the, 
even the Argentines that are playing music, mm -hmm. like in Antica, everyone danced. Like Tomas said, oh, I don't really dance. The pianist <laughs> yeah. dances. He just doesn't dance as much. Mm -hmm. Lucas is like, I absolutely do not dance. So he's the violinist. Yeah, yeah. But everyone else dances a lot. Mm. That's that's a totally different perspective. It it brings something different to the dance to the to the playing of the music because they know what dancers want. Mm -hmm. They're not doing what musicians want, which which is generally playing lots of piazzolla. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Skin has tango helped you understand or given you a different perspective on all of the other things that you've that you've done in life, or or vice versa. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I would say that. I I do these theater shows, you know, where I have to kind of make up everything on the fly. I don't use any notes. Okay. And um, actually, I did a I did a really uh, interesting um, thing on musicality for it was like a musical history of tango, mm -hmm. and I did a slideshow. I did it at the at the San Francisco Marathon, uh, and the same weekend, Marat did one also. Mm. So Marat did his first, and you know, he had these great slides and. And I was really impressed with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I did mine, and um, I didn't have any notes. And he said, how did you memorize everything? And I said, <laughs> well, I, I said, I didn't know how to make slides where you can see them semi-screen together, which he had. He had, like, his notes on one side and the next slide. Mm. And I said, I didn't know how to do that, so I just kind of made it up on the fly. <laughs> it's like, how can you do that? And I said, well, one of the things that happened in Tango is I had to announce all these open mic things. Mm -hmm. And someone came up to me after I'd been doing it for about a year. Uh, I was a, a reviewer from a newspaper. And he said, how long have you been doing comedy? And I was like, <laughs> I don't do comedy. And he said, dude, I've been in the audience for like the last three weeks. You do comedy. And I was like, no, no, I just tell stories <laughs> about stuff I know. And he's like, that's comedy. And um, I didn't realize I could do that. And that mm. all came from Tango. And it is a um, it's a direct relationship to tango because, you know, like when I don't know what to say on stage, like I've had moments where mm -hmm. I just don't know what should come next. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like in a good dance, if I just pause and breathe and just be with a moment, mm -hmm. it comes to me. And people are like, how can you um, trust in that? Well, the same way you do in tango, like it happens to you enough times Mm -hmm. That if you just take your time and, and give it space, you find the next thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I always like to say in the in the tango world, um, when we do the um, the musicality workshops, I'll say, you know, ladies, I would like you to raise your hand if you've ever had a man ever kiss you too slowly and too sensually. It just <laughs> took too long. You know, and all the women just laugh hysterically. I think, oh, that's hilarious. That's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. and and I'm like, guys, you can slow down. Mm -hmm. You you can last. Just be present, be in the moment, mm -hmm. and really, really be present for that other person. And that's the the specialness. And I think that really, when I'm trying to teach someone um, how to sing or I'm teaching them how to dance tango, I'll say, you know, you're a professional lawyer. Like, what happens when you don't know what to say in front of the judge? They're mm -hmm. like, I slow down. Mm -hmm. I take a deep I wait for it to come to me like I don't rush because I'll say something stupid yeah and I'm like so why would we do that in tango then yeah would we rush mm -hmm. and and generally if I can if I can make the the you know the comparison to their professional life it's a big aha moment for them because I'm like you're faking it you don't you don't know what to say next in front of that judge or you don't know 
you're a doctor and you don't know how to address the next issue with a patient who's got a really bad diagnosis. So mm -hmm. you let silence actually be part of the experience. And um, you're not afraid to do that in your profession. You're afraid to do it in tango. Yeah. And I think that um, that's one thing that really shifted everything. And then, then I think another one is this whole thing with community. I mean, mm -hmm. we are richer as a group than any of us are as individuals. I mean, mm -hmm. no matter how much money you make or how many things you're able to experience, they're much more pleasurable when you experience them with, with someone you care about and enjoy. Yeah. And there's nothing like, you know, we're tango dancers, so mm -hmm. we can relate to the idea of, you know, walking into a malonga we've never been in and we get that perfect dance with someone mm -hmm. and it's an amazing experience. Yeah. And someone we've never met, we mm -hmm. don't know. And there's this connection where we're like, wow, I am not alone in the world. This person and I, we've really connected. Yeah. And and that's one of the weird things about um, the musician side of this is that if you can imagine your best, best dance you've ever had, mm -hmm. imagine that with 20 people and that's what it's like to be on stage mm. at these festivals. That's why we wanted to do it. I mean, we, we essentially barely break even doing it because mm -hmm. we only sell um, 175 passes. Mm -hmm. So... We have just enough to pay everyone and then we're done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's one of these experiences where you're really uh, having the best dance of your life and it's four hours long on stage with everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's fatiguing. And you can't wait to do it again. <laughs> how different is that than tango, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you, how did you get started in tango? How did I get started? Uh, yeah, I was living in New York City at the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I've always heard the music this on and off growing up just uh -huh. and then i remember um i think this was in the early 80s i was a little kid and uh i had gone to my i grew up as a musician i used to be a pianist my brother is a violinist and then my older brother and he uh it was there was a recital that he was at and i had to go i was really bored out of my mind but there are all sorts of things going on and then there was um some of my some kids i knew were they did this little ballet performance. And then I remember at the end, my mom was talking to someone else's mom and said, oh, you know, so-and-so you know, -so does ballet. And the kid's mother turned to me and said, hey, Joe, would you like to learn ballet? Because boys can do ballet too. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to prance around in tight pants or anything like that. Because that, that was my, that was my, you know, what my perception of dancing. And so one day I was just, um, my parents were watching TV and I was doing something else in the living room, or in the living room, and I just happened to glance up at the TV, and there was a few seconds, this really short clip of of tango dancing, and it was a guy. He wasn't wearing tight pants. He was wearing this nice suit. <laughs> yeah, and there was and there was a lady in this nice dress, and it looked really cool. And I just remember saying to myself, "Okay, if my mom makes me dance, that's the dance I would do." whatever that is. Huh. And I asked my mom, what is that? She said, oh, that's tango. And then the clip ended. And then I, that kind of stuck with me. And years later, um, I finally <laughs> got a chance to try that dance. And yeah, I got, got immediately hooked. So yeah. You so know, you'll, you'll meet our, um, sorry to interrupt. You'll meet our, our, um, our violinist, Olga. Mm. And she fell in love with Gavito dancing with Marcella Duran, right? Oh. And so the first time we played the Verity Club in San Francisco, you know, it's absolutely packed. Homer, we played the cell space the night before. It was like mm -hmm. 2010. And uh, there's like 
800 people on there because Homer told everyone at Cellspace he's going to show up Thursday night and support us. Nice. So it's absolutely packed. And who walks in but Marcella Duran and does, oh. you know, <laughs> Evaristo Cariego, the exact same choreography. And let me wow. tell you, my violinist was like tears in her eyes. She said, I can't believe this is possible. Wow. I've been watching YouTube. And it's it's crazy. That's tango. It's like, mm. it's such a small world. Yeah. That's so did awesome. you ever do any ballet? No, I never did. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. But yeah, but tango was, yeah, I think that once I did that, it, was, it had this feeling of this is something I've been looking for, you know. And uh, How long have you been dancing? I, be, I, dan I started in 2000. So this was a really great time. I, looking back, I didn't know it at the time, but this was a really great time in New York to be dancing. I mean, the New York scene is still amazing today, but back then in 2000, it was it was starting to take off, but it still had this, it still had this community feel where you could go to a Malanga and, and actually know a lot of people who were there. And right. yes, it was, it was a really nice sweet spot where sometimes I'd be riding the subway and I'd see somebody that I saw at the Malanga and they'd be like, Hey, I saw you there. You know, even though I didn't know the person's name, you know, or they'd be, you know, standing, um, you know, on the pole, just kind of practicing their ochos. <laughs> <laughs> you could say, you tango, don't you? You're at that Malanga. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of our, yeah, it was like this little little secret society we had back then. But yeah. So. <laughs> Did you feel that, that playing the piano also helped your understanding of the music? Yes. I, I, I love what you said in the beginning, how this was, how you had no natural talent. I also had no natural talent with dancing. And the only advantage I had was an understanding, was music, was having a sense of rhythm. So I mm -hmm. might have been doing everything wrong technically, but at least I was doing it in rhythm with the music. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so that was, so I built, thing, built it from there. That was my foundation. I think it's an interesting thing because, you know, traditionally people sang like in church choirs or they mm -hmm. did various things that were musical. And now we have far less relationship with that. Yeah. So... When I'm teaching, I can generally tell who's done music before mm -hmm. in some capacity, even if it's strumming a guitar. You know, Nancy Roberts, who um, she um, she runs the San Miguel de Allende Festival. She's a really nice dancer, and she's lives in Santa Fe. She took voice lessons with me once, mm. and um, man, so she grew up with like three sisters, and they used to do harmonies throughout their like when they would do cross country trips with their parents mm -hmm. and they would sing everything like in four and five part harmonies. Oh. I have yeah it was it's amazing. Wow. I've never heard someone who could harmonize so effortlessly. And of course, <laughs> she's a really musical person because there's this listening quality. I mean, in order to produce a harmony, you have to listen to the darn melody. Mm -hmm. And I think for um for all the dancers. Actually, that's one of the things I can offer you um, on the on the podcast to let people know. Sure. We have a, um, a musicality library we give to anyone who comes to our musicality workshops. Yeah. But, you know, we're not teaching as much as we used to because we've got an 11-year-old who um, who wants to go to Malongas locally. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's the youngest dancer in every Malonga. And um, so if they want to email me, they can go to qtango.com. Mm -hmm. And that's Q, like queen and tango, the word. So qtango.com. Okay. It can email me and say, hey, can I get the musicality, musicality library? So do you remember, um, gosh, what was her name? She was El Pulpo's uh, partner. Oh. Um, is her last name. Starts with an L. Uh, I'll remember uh, her name. Yeah, she yeah. gave 
first library it was like a hundred songs mm. and you know it's like three tunes by Desarly early three middle three 1950s and then you know like three by Donato uh, maybe I think there's like six by Daddy Enzo mm -hmm. like there's the Maude version and then there's the instrumentals and um, I just um, I give people a download link and they can download that and then I have a second part of that download which is like a 16 gigabyte library that Gabriel Musset gave me, mm -hmm. which someone had given him, and it was, it's all broken down as like Biagi Orchestra, Biagi Valse, Biagi Valse Vocal, oh, Biagi Valse Vocal, which singers. Wow. And so it's wow. really broken down by category. And, um, you know, our violinist, Olga, she, she listened to that 16 gigabytes nonstop, and um, <laughs> it really changed her understanding of tango. And it, it's really pretty much all the Golden Age stuff, plus some a bit more modern stuff like um, there's a Forever Tango album on there, so you can hear that. But there's a ton of Pugliese, um, and really there's a lot of depth in the Golden mm -hmm. Era also. So I, we give that to everyone because I, I feel that if people are going to really grow in tango, they, they benefit by listening to music. You don't have to listen to the music, mm -hmm. but there's um, definitely the more you listen to it, the, and find the, the parts of it you love. I would skip, you know, like, this is what happened to, to Olga. She would, um, she's like, oh, I don't want to listen to any of the Gardell guitar music. I hate it. Mm -hmm. And I'd mm -hmm. say, well, don't listen to it. You know, so she fell in love with the DeSarly stuff and she listened to it ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. And at some point she was like, I heard enough of that. I want to listen to something else. And then she got hooked on Pugliese for a while and she would just listen to Pugliese every time she got in the car. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you know, we'd be at a Malonga and she'd say, Oh, I love this Pugliese. <laughs> I'm like, ah, you know who the orchestra is, right? Yeah. And you know, we noticed that in in our musicality workshops, that if you put on a an American tune like "We Will Rock You," mm -hmm. the average American knows where the guitar solo is. They they know where the rhythm breaks and there's a, a gap in the song mm -hmm. where they could freeze for a second. The thing is, is the tango music's just foreign, so they they yeah. don't always yeah. know that, and it tends to be the big deciding factor of whether or not people mm -hmm. continue, yeah. and and that's yeah. I think why live music is so important. You you mentioned Cuarteto Tanguero, mm -hmm. that's uh, Ben Bogart's band. Right. You know they're they're great. You know they they play something like Asia as a quartet, mm -hmm. and you get that live experience of it. You go back to the recording and you take the live experience with you mm -hmm. when you hear. The Recording again, and now the recording is richer. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I I think it's a uh, for that to happen, you have to have the recording and the live experience mm -hmm. that that they kind of circulate one back to the other, and that's what I mean. When, with our festival, we'll be doing everything that we play is essentially stuff that you would hear a DJ play. Mm -hmm. None of the kind of cause there's a lot of obscure tango music no one wants to dance to, mm -hmm. and um, we focus on. You know, tunes like Bahia Blanca and Alegra Muñeca and Comil Fo from mm -hmm. Tisarle or, you know, the Darienzo stuff, Loca, Felicia, you know, the stuff that is the most popular. It's like, why learn to play the music no one wants to dance to? It makes mm -hmm. no sense. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I, uh, we got to wrap things up. So where can we find out more about you online and also Q Tango? So the Q Tango website is Q. It's a www.qtango.com. Okay. And there are still passes available for the festival. Strangely enough, we're 100% gender balanced right now. So mm. um, 
which is weird. Normally I have way more follows, but mm -hmm. what I did is I encouraged them to uh, find a leader. So everyone's been saying, hey, and I found a leader, so I'm going to sign up as a couple, which that's been great. They can find out about the festival there. There's a list of uh, events. Events kind of change as, as we see how many people are going to be there. Um, but it's limited to a capacity of 175 because of the size of the room. And there's videos of, of the room and the size. It's, it's a great sprung dance floor from 1910 with Tiffany glass windows. It's a it's an old church. Mm, okay. And, um, yeah, you're going to be there, right? Yeah, yeah, I plan on That's it. Great. So, and it's downtown Albuquerque. Um, anyone interested in coming should just know that um, Albuquerque is a car town. If you're from back east and you're used to not using a car, mm -hmm. Albuquerque requires a car. On the other hand, we have generally free parking. <laughs> nice. That makes it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, www.qtango.com and um, feel free to email me with any questions. I'm the one who makes the time to answer all that. And wow. I think they, they can also. Um, Ask for my phone number. I'm happy to talk on the phone because I know everyone has different needs and what their expectations from the event. We we sell out every year. This is our third year mm -hmm. in 2020. And um, I think what they'll find is it, it's really for people who love live music. It's mm -hmm. four hours of live music. It's really hard to sit out because yeah. you can't say, oh, it's that Canaro tune again. I hate this Tonda. I don't want to dance this. <laughs> Or, you know, I never danced the Pugliese. Instead, you're, mm -hmm. you're like, wow, I, I, I kind of recognize it, but it's different. I want to try dancing to it. Yep. All of a sudden, it's four hours later, and your, your feet are killing you, and you're like, gosh, i got to sit down. But <laughs> I don't want that's to. That's the beauty. <laughs> I don't want to. That's a way to get a hold of us, qtango.com. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. All right, Erskine, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with me. It was great to, great to get to know you, great to hear about this awesome festival, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Looking forward to it. See you then. It's uh, March the 18th through the 22nd. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. That was fun. Wow. We could have easily talked for another few hours. Like every other Tango person I've ever met, Erskine is a very interesting character. He's got a background as an opera singer, plays several instruments, including the bandoneon. He has his own tango band, he dances, he teaches, and what he's doing with Q-Tango is really awesome. And I liked how he gave some perspective on the bandoneon, not really demystifying it, but he makes some great points about learning it that many, if not most, bandoneon players today didn't start until they were adults, and yet they became full-fledged professionals. And like Erskine said, you don't hear about that happening with other instruments, like the violin. So is the bandoneon really that hard? Maybe it's not any more or less challenging than other, more common instruments. And I also liked how Erskine likened tango dancing to public speaking, that you're not always going to know what to say, and if you just pause and slow down, the right words will come. Dancing is the same way. Pause, breathe, invite silence, and the right things will happen. When we talked about community, I appreciated Erskine's take on getting to know the people around you, that milongas should be social gatherings full of good company and conversations, and amidst all that, tango dancing happens. And that's a good way of looking at things. And the idea of Q-Tango, again, really great. Musicality workshops with an actual tango orchestra present are incredibly fun and eye-opening. 
Don't get me wrong, taking a workshop with just teachers, you know, talking about musicality and having us do exercises, that's also helpful and I've enjoyed every single one that I've taken. But taking a workshop where you have an actual live music group in front of you is something else and that experience will stay with you. So thank you again, Erskine, for the great conversation and for your time. And as always, thanks to all your listeners for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. That helps out a lot. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.